We're in a sermon series, um, the Gospel of Matthew, and we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks. Um, I remember when I first started preaching, I was 28 years old as a senior pastor, which is like way too young. You need to be at least about 83 before you become a senior pastor. And I remember the elders of the church asked me to preach on stewardship. I wasn't even sure I could spell stewardship, but they wanted me to preach on stewardship because the guy before me never would preach on stewardship. And I realized I got two degrees in this, and I don't have a clue what I would say. So as I began to study the scriptures, I began to realize that, wow, this is really interesting. And so what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5 is not what he does in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I want you to let your light shine before people so they can see your good deeds and then glorify your Father who's in heaven. And then Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, listen, if you pray, when you give, when you fast, don't tell anybody. I'm going, huh? There seems to be a real disconnect there. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, so when you pray, go into your room, go into your closet and shut the door and don't let everybody see what you're doing. And when you give, don't announce it with trumpets. And when you fast, put oil on your hair, and that's kind of weird, but put oil on your hair and, 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 and wash your face and, and, and don't tell everybody that you're fasting. And I'm going, this is a disconnect. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus just said, I need you and I want you to let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And then Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, just don't, don't, don't announce it with trumpets. And I'm going, no, that doesn't quite make sense. So what is Jesus doing? And then I realized a couple of decades later now in life, I realized that Jesus is up 100,000 feet looking down. He's casting vision. He's casting a vision they've never heard of, they've never thought of. All they know is religion. And Jesus is moving from the Old Testament law to the New Testament to a relationship. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He offers a relationship. But all they knew was religion. Keep the Sabbath laws, keep the burnt offering, the guilt offering, the free will offering. All they knew was the, the major festivals. And Jesus is going, no, 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 you couldn't even keep those. You did a terrible job keeping the Sabbath rules. You did a terrible job trying to keep all the laws. And by the way, I'm going to elevate them far higher than you could ever dream or imagine. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, like, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. I've always had a hard time with that. Have you? I have. And Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those people who persecute you. But Jesus, we don't like them. That's why they're our enemies. And and Jesus just ratchets the bar higher and higher. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Yeah, we all know. We all know what that's like. Jesus said, I'm telling you, you look at somebody with lust in your heart, you're going, oh, I'm cooked. I'm done. It's over. We're all in trouble. And so all of a sudden, Jesus moves from this religion to this 
relationship. Now, I've asked people to church. You've asked people to church. And I usually kind of go like this. Hey, if you have a great church, stay where you are. I know they don't go to church. That's why, I, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I'm honoring them. Okay? I'm trying to be polite. Hey, if you've got a great church, stay where you are. But if you don't have one, we've got a great church. Come visit us. And usually the first words out of their mouth are, I'm not very religious. It's how people think. People think about man-made laws. And my response to them is always the same. (laughs) I'm not either. And they're bewildered. And they're looking at me cross-eyed going, well, aren't you the pastor? (laughs) Yeah, but I'm not very religious. I'm not into all those man-made laws and rules. But I'm in love with Jesus. I'm crazy about Jesus. Jesus is my hero. Jesus is the greatest person. He's the greatest event of all. Jesus is, is the man for me. And, and, and so people don't get this. And so they don't get this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is casting a vision. Do you want to have something greater than what you have? Do you want to keep the Sabbath laws? Do you want to keep all that? Well, no, you don't. I'm offering a relationship. And by the way, this relationship with me, you can't earn. In fact, the standard, you couldn't keep the low level of the law. You certainly aren't going to keep these new standards. So I will do it for you. I will come into your life. I will change everything about you. I will change you from the inside out. And so here's Jesus, really the first sermon in the New Testament. This is the Sermon on the Mount. All they've learned from the, from the book of Malachi were curses, 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 curses. And here comes Jesus, and he's offering blessings and favor, blessings and favor. And so that's how he starts off. He starts off with what's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are, this is what you have. You have God's favor. You have God's blessing. All you have to do is embrace it. So let me just review. Last week, he starts off with the Beatitudes. This is what you have. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 3 through 9. Now use the message translation because it's really hard to understand this. But Jesus said, by the way, you're blessed. You have God's favor. That's really what the word is. It's favor. When you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed. When you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You have God's favor. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. This is new, friends. This is revelatory. This is vision. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed. You have his favor when you care. At that moment of being careful, in other words, that's the word mercy, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed. You have the Heavenly Father's favor. When you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. And then you can see God in the outside world. And so you're blessed. When you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight, that's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, this is what you have. You can have something different. 
You can stick with the Sabbath laws. You can stick with all these rules. You can stick with all these regulations and regulatory things. But I'm telling you, there's something better. I've got something better in store for you. You have God's favor. Now, again, Jesus made the standard of righteousness so high that nobody could attain to it. And that's the point. You can't attain to the Beatitudes. You can't live the Sermon on the Mount without Christ. But that's the whole point. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the whole reason Jesus came, was to change you and to transform you from the inside out. So Jesus then begins to change you on the inside. So this is what you have. Now, stay with me. Don't miss this. If you miss this turn, we're going to run off the cliff, okay? Stay with me right now. See, this is what you have. Those beatitudes. That's what you have. But here's what you are. Jesus is going to tell them, first of all, this is, what, this is why you want to come with me. This is why you want to take this journey with me. Because you have all these blessings. But now I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to give you all this. But here's who you are. And he starts telling them they're salt. And he starts to tell them that they're light. Now catch this. It's not that you're going to become salt. It's not that you're going to become light. You, you are. You are salt. You, you are light. You don't have a choice. you got to work against it. you got to fight against it. But I'm coming inside of you. Now, you may not live light. You may not live like salt. But I'm telling you, that's who you are. And you and I know this. We know when God speaks to us and we're disobedient. We know when God tells us to go north and we go south. We know when God says go left and we go right. We all know that because he's come inside of every person who is a believer. So if you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, but you want to be something different, something unique in your family, in your school, in your home, in your workplace, if you want to be something different, listen carefully because Jesus Christ will flat transform everything about your life. So this is what you have. you got God's favor. Now, this is who you are. You are salt. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus then moves to you are the salt of the earth. Now, I don't really think we get this for a couple of reasons. Salt's not that big of a deal to us. In fact, we're not even supposed to eat salt sometimes in our diet. So we're going, why are we the salt of the earth? You know, it'd be, it'd be like us talking about cell phones or like grocery stores or like gasoline. Nobody in the room has to explain grocery stores. Nobody in the room has to explain cell phones. We all have one. Well, some of you. Does anybody in the room still have the flip phone or the old flip thing? I mean, have, have you moved past the flip phone thing? All right, we'll, we'll just keep going. Anyway, so everybody in the room gets that, all right? We all understand that. Well, they all understood salt because it was life. There was no way to preserve meat. There was no way to preserve fish without salt. And so if you had, you know, this beef or this lamb or whatever, you had to have salt. And they all got it out of the Dead Sea. The second largest body of water that they all understood was the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is dead because nothing grows in it because it's full of salt. And they all got their salt out of that. Danita and I swam in the Dead Sea. You cannot drown. No one is ever drowned in the Dead Sea. They can't, you can't. There's so much salt in that, you can't go under. Now, my wife looks real spiritual, but she tried to push me under several times in that, in that lake. 
And, and she's not real spiritual because she tried to drown me. But you can't drown. You cannot drown in the salt sea. It is such a high-content salt level that you can't do that. I know you're watching me. Um, so, so I tried to, you, you can read a newspaper. I'm, I'm not kidding you. You can read a newspaper in the Dead Sea. You can just plop up, you will not sink in the Dead Sea. So they all understood this. And so when Jesus said, you are the salt of the world, what's he saying? You add flavor. You add purity. You preserve. You preserve your family. You preserve your neighborhood. You preserve your work environment. It's preservation. And so Jesus says, here's what you are. You are, and I don't miss this. It's not that I'm going to become that someday. When you become a believer, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, number two, you're the light of the world. Look at the next verse. You're the light of the world. Now, that's cool. So I thought about this because one night we're at the Sea of Galilee and we're really enjoying ourselves and it's dark and it's got pitch black. And right across the horizon, there's another town. And I wonder if Jesus made that analogy because look at this little picture right here. That's the next town right over. And you can see, did, did Jesus see this at pitch black? Did Jesus say, look, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And a city on a hill is illuminated. Everybody can see it. I don't know. But you are light and you are salt. And so what, what does that mean for us? Well, look at verse 15. Here's what he says. He says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. Now, I don't think we always like this. I think as believers, we'd like to go undercover. I think as believers, we don't always want to be on a stand because that puts pressure, right? But Jesus is saying, now get this. He's not saying it's an option. He's not saying you get to vote on this. He's saying, if you want my favor and you've got it, then this is who you are. You are salt. You, you are light. Everywhere you go, this is who you are. I'll give you my Father's favor. But I'm telling you, this is who you are. So look at the next verse then. He says in verse 16, now, now it makes a little bit more sense. You see, everywhere you go is salt and light. I, I want you to go and I want you to let your light shine. Because I want other people to be able to see your good deeds and what? And glorify you? No, 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 no. It's not about you. I want you to be able to glorify my Father. My Father sees that you're salt. My Father sees that you're like Everybody around you sees this. And so it's kind of interesting because as you read this out of context, you almost think that Jesus is pitching a selfie. You just go around and take selfie pictures of yourself, right? And just put them on Facebook and make... Does everybody know what a selfie... Who, who knows what a selfie is in the room? Anybody not know what a selfie is in the room? By the way, I think it's really funny. The very first... This is good facts. You'll be glad you came to church this morning. The very first selfie was in 1839. A guy named Robert Cornelius took the first selfie of all history. What happened was is he set the camera up, and it takes so long for that very first picture. This is 1839. That he would actually ignite the thing to, to take off. He'd run to the front of the camera. He'd take the camera lens off, stand in front of it, refocus the camera lens, and he had over a minute before the picture went off. 
1839. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? All right. Is Jesus pitching a selfie? Probably not, is he? Probably not. What is he pitching? What is Jesus communicating? Well, let's talk about that for just a minute. It's a vision. It's a vision from Jesus that you learn to be salt and light in your neighborhood. You learn to be salt and light at work. So just imagine at work that you have a better attitude than anybody else. Everybody else has a sour attitude. Just imagine everybody, all your friends, they're, they're not honoring their marriage vows, but you are. Just imagine all, the context of your associations. Nobody has sexual integrity, but you do. Everybody else, you know, doesn't have much hope in life. You know, things are you know, bad, but you have hope because you're attached to the, to the king. You are salt and you are light. Just, just imagine if you in your context are honest all the time, and maybe people around you are semi-honest, but you're honest, you speak, to, you don't exaggerate your expense reports, you're not lying, you're not stealing, you are salt and you are light. And you're light everywhere you go, every place that you are. See, it's, friends, it's not a matter of whether or not you want to be salt and light, you are salt and light. It's a matter of living up to the vision that God has given to you. A couple of years ago, um, I had a swing built for our neighborhood. I think neighborhoods are hard to be salt and light. Do you? No? Yeah, I'm going to move to your neighborhood then. So I, I, I move. I, I put this swing. I have this swing built, and it's a great big swing. We've got this huge oak tree, and and so I got the swing, and it's up there. And Man, all the neighbor kids are out swinging. We're swinging on it. We, we've swung so much on this swing that we've worn the grass. There's no grass in the path, okay? We thought, we're not growing grass. We're trying to grow kids anyway, so we're good with that. So one of the three board members, you know where this story's going. One of the three board members comes over, you know, the house and says, you know, Mr. Parker, and that's never a good sign. Just call me Kurt. And they said, um, you can't have a swing in your front yard. It's called playground equipment. And the covenant you've signed says no playground equipment in your front yard. I said, I don't have playground equipment. I got a swing. He said, no, you got playground equipment. And so I'm thinking, all right, what do we do? Well, again, there's all these children in the neighborhood that swing on our swing in our yard. We don't care. We're not there. They're there swinging. Well, one of the mothers gets pretty hot about this. I know you find this really hard to believe in a neighborhood. (laughs) And she decides to go around to every house in the neighborhood, I don't know, 35, 36 homes, and sign a petition that we're going to put the swing back up at the Parker's house. And so everybody signed the petition except the three board members, okay? So we get the results back from the petition. And I'm thinking, all right, this is sweet. I'm going to put the swing back up. So I'm out there in the front yard, and I've got because it's such a high tree, and I wanna, I'm going to do this once. i got the ropes. You know, I'm going to get it all lined up, get the right measurements so the swing's not cattywampus, you know. So I'm out there lining all this up on the, on the uh, sidewalk, and one of the board members walks over, and he said, uh, going to put the swing up, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. I put the swing up. He said, I'm asking you not to do it. I said, okay. He said, it, it's a violation of the covenant. I'm asking you not to do it. Well, now I got a dilemma. And so I said, all right, I need to think about it. 
So Denise and I thought about it, and we prayed about it. You see, the guy that walked over is not a Christian, and I've shared Christ with him twice. And as bad as I wanted that swing up, I want that man and I want that, his wife to be in heaven with us someday. And I don't want to be the reason that that guy didn't get to heaven. And so I went back and told him, all right, we, we won't put the swing up. Cool. And so about two years later, he knocks on our door late afternoon. I'm not home yet. Locks on our door, knocks on our door. And Danita said, I'm not home, but when he gets home, he'll come over. And so I got home, I don't know, 6 o'clock or whatever. And I, I said to Danita, now what I do? I'm in trouble again, you know. I, what, and that's the first thing you think of, right? It's like, what did I do this time? And so I go over to his house, 8 o'clock at night, and I've got one, one daughter. And he said, um, our daughter's getting married. We don't, we don't have a preacher. We don't even know a preacher except you. Would you do the ceremony? I said, I'd be honored. I'd be honored. And about three or four months later, at a beautiful place, I got to sow a few seeds of the God. I'd like to tell you, the guy said, you know, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? But that's not what happened. I'd like to tell you he's a Christian today, but that still hasn't happened. But I got to sow some seeds during that wedding, got to get to know them a little bit. And I'm still praying for that man almost every week as I drive by his house. You see, it's not about you. It's not about me. This short time we're here on this earth, it ain't about you. You are salt and and you are light. I think the most difficult place besides the neighborhood is the family. Anybody else think family's hard to be salt and light? I think that's terribly difficult to be salt and light within the home. And so we begin to say, okay, Jesus, you live through us, and you live, you live for us. And Jesus begins to live in your life and for your life. And so in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, let your light shine before men, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, He's not saying in the next chapter, he's not saying pitch a selfie, put yourself in front of everybody else. He's, and he's not saying that when you pray for somebody, don't tell anybody. He's just saying, don't make it about you. And when you give, he's not saying don't talk to other people about it. Hey, we want to give toward this project. We want, will you match this? He's not saying don't. He's just saying don't make it a big show. And he's certainly not saying, you know, when you fast, Maybe you want to invite some other people to, to fast with you for a particular project. What he's saying is, it's just not about you. So when you pray and when you give and when you fast, it's bigger than you. It's about my Father. It's about the kingdom. It's really what Paul says at the end of his life. This is where we want to get to. At the end of Paul's life, he says this in Acts chapter 26. He says, he says this. <laughs> I knew it was in the book of Acts. I wasn't sure what chapter it was. He says in Acts chapter 26, verse 19, he says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. He has a heavenly vision. And Paul, at the end of his life, is going, I did it. I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision that God had for me. The message says it a little bit differently. Same verse. I just couldn't walk away, Paul says, from a vision like that. I became an obedient believer on the spot. I love that. 
And so there's a vision that Jesus is casting here in Matthew chapter 5, and there's a vision for your life. And I want to talk about vision for just a minute. Because there's about six different steps to vision. If you want to take notes in your bulletin, there's blanks in your bulletin. But there's about six steps to a vision. And a vision can be specific. God has a specific vision, but he also has a general vision for everybody in, in this room. And so step number one to a vision is basically this. I thought it. You see, God gives you vision. I'm going to preach on this a whole lot maybe this next year, but I, I don't think we have vision. I, I don't think we have vision. I think vision comes from God. We talk about so-and-so as a great visionary. I don't think they're great visionaries. I think they've just been listening to what God's trying to say to them. Oh, Steve Jobs, he's just a great visionary. The late Sam Walton, just a great visionary. I think they listen. I think they encourage, but I think they listen. I, I don't think man has vision. I think God gives you vision. I think he's wanting to give you more vision than you could ever dream or ever imagine. And I remember as a younger pastor, I would come up with an idea. This is the poor people in Memphis, you know, suffered. You get the benefit of this, okay? But the poor people in Memphis, I'd come up with an idea, and I'd lead the church in a particular direction. I'd charge hell with a water pistol about something, you know? And then all of a sudden, I realized God wasn't even in it. I just thought it was a good idea. Then I'm asking God to bless it. And then I'm asking God to rescue me. God, help me. I got the whole church in this mess. Get me out of this. Okay? And so I've come up to the conclusion that I'm a little slow now. I don't go forward or backwards, left or right, until I know that I know that I know it's a vision from God. Because I've asked God to bail me out about three dozen times. Finally, about 42, 43 years old, I realized if I'll just listen, he'll give me the vision. It's the same with you. He has a heavenly vision. So God gives you the vision. I thought it. Number two, I caught it. You start to get excited about the vision. You realize that it's, it's transcendent. It's bigger than you. Number three, you buy I bought it. You consider the cost of the vision and you pay the price. This is kind of like our wedding chapel, folks. Our wedding chapel is just a tool. God's given us a vision saying, I want you to take a stand on marriage. I want you to try to help people with marriage. I want you to communicate to the unchurched world that I'm the originator of marriage and what it's all about. So we, for years, took God to reveal this to us. Then we caught it, and now we're willing to pay the price. Number four, I sought it. Nobody can talk you out of it. When you get a vision from God, you know that you know that you know it's from your heavenly Father. I'm 18 years old. I'm going to Purdue University. I'm signed up for radio and television. I look like Joe Buck. I'm going to be Joe Buck, okay? I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden, there's a Sunday night church service. I knew that I knew that I knew that God was calling me to teach the Scriptures. And my uncle takes me on a walk in Louisville, Kentucky, down his sidewalk, and he told me, I'm 18, he said, Kurt, do something important with your life. A life of theology is a wasted life for you. Do something better. I wouldn't let him talk me out of it. I knew. I knew it was from God. Number five. Not only I, I thought it, I caught it, I bought it, I sought it, but I got it. I actually got it. I, you actually possessed the dream, and you were glad that you paid the price. And then the last one is this. I taught it. You begin to pass the vision on to other people. Your heavenly Father has a vision for you. Yeah, somebody just took a picture. That's a great idea. Take a picture of it. Write it down. Uh, use your selfie, whatever you want to do with it. So there's a vision for your life. Listen to what Ephesians says. 
There's a book of Ephesians chapter 5. This is God's vision for you. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out. I love that. Find out. That's the vision for your life. Find out what pleases the Lord. That's the vision for you. Find out. Look at what Philippians says. Philippians says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be. Now, that's salt and light right there. Huh? Hello. Wake up. Do I have an amen on that? Amen. See, that's salt and light. I don't grumble. I'm not arguing at work. I don't grumble. I'm not arguing at home. I don't grumble. I'm not arguing in the neighborhood. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Everybody else is doing this, but you're not. Then you will shine among them, here's the light, like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. My vision, my heavenly vision, I was obedient to. 2005, at the Clearwater Marine Aquarium, they get a call that there's this dolphin that's got a crab trap wrapped around its tail near Cape Canaveral, Florida. This dolphin's name is Winter. And we've all seen the movies. We all know Winter. We've all watched the billboards. So Winter comes over here to be rescued and to, to get healthy. And in the process, because the line had been, a crab trap line had been around the tail, there was no blood, and, and eventually Winter lost the tail, or lost her tail. But, and you saw this with Morgan Freeman, engineers worked on a prosthetic tail. <laughs> and this dolphin, since 2005, they have brought hundreds of children to this dolphin. They may not have a hand. A little boy may not have an arm. They've brought hundreds and thousands of, of soldiers who've lost limbs, lost a leg, lost a foot, double amputees. And all of a sudden, this dolphin helps inspire them with, with a vision. It was this dolphin, this winner right here. That's winner. If a tailless dolphin has a vision from the Heavenly Father, <laughs> if a dolphin has a vision from God, now she doesn't know it, but we know it, don't you think God has a vision for you? Don't you think God has plans to use you? There is a heavenly vision for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in this room. God wants to use you in your context. So just as you leave, and you're going to go back, and you're going to drive, and you're going to go back to the restaurants, and you're going to go back to school or work or your neighborhood or your family. It's not that you become salt and light. You are. You, you, you are salt and light. You are the light of the world. And so we let our light shine, not to post, we brag about how great we are, but we brag about how great our Heavenly Father is and how our Heavenly Father has changed us and transformed us. And we become salt and we become light in a perverse and a crooked generation. I know God's will for you is to be baptized into Christ. I know God's will is for you to give your life to Christ. I know God's general will for you is to become salt and light. 
And if you're not a Christian, we're going to give you that opportunity today. Let's stand right now and have our prayer partners come down front. I know it's God's will for you to be baptized. I know it is. There's too many places in Scripture. There's nine different places just in the book of Acts alone that talks about baptism and how you should be baptized into Christ. And so this afternoon at Honeymoon Island Beach at 6 o'clock, get there early, we're going to have a baptismal party and baptize a whole bunch of people this afternoon in the Gulf of Mexico. And, and if you've not been baptized and you want to be, go to the Connect desk, the guest service desk right now. Go to the guest service desk and sign up. And if you're still not sure and you show up tonight, we'll still baptize you. Okay? We will. Maybe you're not sure about a specific vision for your life. And you'd like one of our team members, one of our prayer partners to pray for you, to pray over you about not the general will of God, but the specific will of God, his vision for for you. So I'm going to close this in prayer. And you leave this room and let the Holy Spirit transform you to be salt and to be light. And if you've never been baptized by immersion, make a decision to go be baptized tonight in the Gulf of Mexico. Go to the guest service desk and just, just sign up. We worship you, Jesus. We are not very religious, but man, we're into a relationship with you. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let us live within that. In your name, Jesus, amen.